Uh, I pastor in Chillicothe, Ohio, and everybody asks where that was or is. Um, it is the first capital of the state of Ohio. We're very proud of that in Chillicothe. If you drive through our town, it says first capital everywhere. Uh, we're very jealous of Columbus. So uh, we were the capital twice. It was the capital first, then they moved it to Columbus, then they moved it back to Chillicothe. And then they moved it to Columbus. So um, we kind of had a back and forth relationship. But anyway, I pastor there. There's 56,000 people that have um, Chillicothe uh, as their hometown. It's very uh, agricultural, a lot of farm. Um, we have factories that really do provide the bulk of what we do in Chillicothe. We have Kenworth Trucks and the Mead Paper Mill. Uh, it's now Chapeco, but if you ever used a notebook in school that had mead on it, it was uh, from Chillicothe Factory. So that's, that's where I am. Um, I've been there for 11 years in May. Prior to that, I was the staff pastor for, over evangelism and home missions for the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, the right Church of God, uh, in, in Kentucky. That's where I'm from. And um, I moved up here 11 years ago to the assemblies as a transplant. I moved from the second largest church of God in the state of Kentucky uh, to one of the smallest assemblies of gods in the state of Ohio. There were 12 people uh, at Chillicothe. And so I moved from a church averaging in the 900s uh, to a church of 12 people. And that is a big gear shift uh, to go through in life. And so um, we moved there on, on complete faith, but we knew that's what God wanted. And so we've invested a decade there. My wife and I have three kids, and um, now um, we're, we're, doing, we're doing quite well. We average about 235 now on Sundays, and it's been a real uh, revitalization of the church. Uh, what questions are you hoping to get answered in this session today? Just go ahead and uh, raise your hand if you, if, because it says, uh, what are you hoping that will be answered in this session? So go ahead, let me know. Let me know what you're hoping for, and we'll see if we get there. Anybody? Anybody got any hopes, dreams? Yeah. Hoping to get them saved today. All right. Okay. It's good. We're going to write that down. Board members saved. Straight. All right. Anybody else got any hopes? I hope that too. Anybody else? Hopes, dreams, yeah. So, uh, maybe the scope is too large, but when you have um, newer, younger generation coming into church leadership, character is defined very differently than what maybe an older sure. generation, I don't even mean maturity-wise, I just mean age character definition is different. Yeah. So, so, my husband and I have found is that it becomes more and more difficult to bridge that gap. Um, and then there's also the play of character when it comes to spiritual maturity. So those two dynamics are really difficult um, to kind of... I agree. And it feels um, sometimes like you're in um, quick-setting cement because it's so difficult to walk through that journey. Gotcha. Yeah, perfect. It's great. That should be a session all in itself, for sure. Yeah, Britt? How do we give, how do we give people character? Okay. Pathway to character. All right. Anybody else? You hoping to get answered? This would make a great session. This isn't going to be our session. That would make a great <laughs> session. <laughs> no, those, those are great questions. Uh, and, uh, and I hope to be able to hit those uh, at least at some point. Uh, in our in our session together, uh, it's kind of it's kind of odd. I've I've, I've spoke at Synergy uh, since the start. I think Pastor Brent has as well. And this year, I didn't say that I wanted to be a speaker or even put my name in. And I was scrolling through the internet, uh, looking at Synergy, and I was a speaker uh, with a <laughs> with a session. So um, <laughs> I, I called uh, Dave and said. You know, it's great, but I had no idea that you wanted me to, to do that. And he, and he said, so, so what do you want to do? And I, I said, well, I, I don't know. Let's talk about character. So um, that's what we're going to uh, discuss today uh, with the help of the Apostle Paul. The Pauline epistles are, of course, gold to church leaders. You 
should eat them, breathe them, live them. They are the source, the lifeblood of how we do church uh, in, in the epistles of Paul. And so uh, there's so much, though, to cover. And I, and I have an hour. I have 50 minutes, actually. So I, I, I know it's going to be hard for us to try to, to dive into all the ins and outs of, of Paul's rich instruction to us. And so I wanted to try to mainstream what he says in his epistles. There are threads that run throughout the Pauline epistles that you see the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul weaving this great fabric that we call church. And so uh, while there's little side roads we could take and rabbit trails, and, and we may take a few, uh, there, are, um, there are purposed themes that glue the Pauline epistles together. Uh, directly how it relates to the way we do church even today. And so, um, and so I, want to, um, I want to share that share that with you. Uh, if you didn't get a copy of the paper, give me your email afterward and I'll uh, PDF you a copy of that on your email. I, I'm sorry I didn't print enough. So let's talk about uh, character. Somebody tell me what you think character is. If, if, if somebody had never heard the word character and they're asking you, what is character? Real quick synopsis, how would you define character? How you behave. Good. Good. A moral code. Doing the right thing, even when someone's not looking. Yes. It's a nice, that's almost Twitter perfect, isn't it? That's right. Anybody else? No? How many people believe that you are people of character? Would you raise your hand? You better, they're recording this. Everybody raise your hand. Yeah, you're people of character. Your credentials are on the line. Character, character is getting your words and your deeds to work together for one purpose. Getting your words and your deeds to work together for one purpose. Um, I, I use this example a lot, and if you've been to any sessions that I taught, this don't yawn at this, but it's it's like uh, a river or where I grew up, a creek. Um, you can't have a river or a creek or a creek or whatever you call it. You can't have that without two very important things. You have to have water, of course, but you have to have banks. Banks are what show the water where to go. And so if you just have water, I can run water in my sink and I don't have a river. But I can have banks and no water, and then I just have a big trench. But if I have water and banks cooperating together, I have a river that is taking the water to a purpose. It's taking it to a destination. Character is allowing your, your words, what you say, and your deeds, what you do, to align together for one purpose. So that you're not saying one thing and doing something else. That is a person who has no character. When they say one thing and, and they do something else. The Apostle Paul uh, writes 13 epistles of church doctrine and principles. And then we have the evidence of Paul's life matching, matching his words. Uh, we read that Paul visited the churches that he writes to. Uh, he tells us about how they welcomed him when he got there. He gave them direction. He actually told them to read his letters out loud publicly in the book of Colossians. He wanted the whole church to hear the correction from the apostle. Uh, he arranges uh, for money to be collected to help out the believers in the Jerusalem church. We all know this, right? He, he's, he's directing from like Grand Central. He's telling them this is how you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do church. Um, he, he, he sends people on errands for him. Bring me my cloak. Bring me my books. Bring me my... He, he sends people on, on things to do. He disciplines them. He warns them. He puts them into open rebuke in his letters. Uh, he, he, he says, hey, by the way, I hear you're sinning, and we're going to cut that out. There's none of that stuff in, in the church. Um, and, and anytime you read through this, it's, it's Paul putting his fingerprints all over the New Testament church. And that's fine. And a lot of people like to tell you how it is. But if your life doesn't match your words. You're a person of no character. We don't pay any attention to those people. Uh, politicians are like that a lot. You say one thing, but your life matches something else. And far be it from the church to have leaders who say one thing and live something else. That's no character. So uh, that has to be defined into who we are. It can't be about your title. Paul didn't lay in the hammock of the title of, of apostle and just relax. He led with purpose for, for the church. As a leader, 
as a leader in, in the church, I don't know if you're a pastor or, or a staff pastor or a board member that we're going to get lined out or what you are, but if you're a leader, people who follow you will only follow you if they see you doing what you say. They will follow you as long as they see you doing what you say. And they like what they hear. They agree with what you're saying. But if you don't deliver what you're saying, they will stop following you. They will stop following you. To be a leader in the church, i I, I got to say this, is the greatest privilege on the planet to be a leader in God's church. It's better than any job you could get. It's better than any title you could get. A leader in the church of God is the best title or privilege that you and I can ever have. And God sets up authority in leadership. It's like the oil. It starts on the head, but it runs down through the whole body. So God gives the pastor the vision, and it's supposed to run through the body, but it has to be delivered with character. I mean, let's just talk about things that nobody wants to talk about. You ever served under a bad pastor? Raise your hand. I'm raising two because I've served under two. Two bad pastors. What made them bad pastors? Not that their preaching was bad. They preached the house on fire. But their lives did not match their words. And it made it hard for me to follow them. It was some of the most stressful moments of my life. Come home and tell my wife, I just don't agree with this. And I don't, I see what he says, but it's not, not hard discussions over dinner tables. And it's all because of character. Not that I didn't like his sermons and I didn't like his ideas or his dreams, but his life wasn't matching. It'll cost you something if you want to be a spiritual giant when you lead the church. It'll cost you your own preferences. It'll cost you your own ideas. You have to be sold out to the purposes of God over your own purposes. Paul spent so much time in cities with with pagan cultures and he he could write letters to them and he really does give us this, this great toolbox. And so I want to read to you what I want to pull out today to really kind of examine this whole character of how to make the church function as one. That's where we're going. If you have character in correct alignment, the church will function as a body should function. So some of you know exactly where I'm going. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you just to listen to the words of Paul. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. But I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we all serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language, while another is given the ability to interpret what's being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts. Now here it is. This is where he's going to talk about how we function. has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews... Some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. We all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the eye, would it be any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. There are many parts, but one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care, so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. 
while the more honorable and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are honored. All of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First apostles, prophets, teachers, those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown tongues. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? I, Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best for all. The purposes of the church that God has invested into the body will never happen by accident. They never happen. You're not going to have a wonderful leadership team and people full of character by accident. That, that, that just doesn't happen. There has to be leadership. The church cannot develop, transform, and go forward without leadership. You can tell a difference between a good leader and a great leader. A good leader can look around and give somebody a task. Something needs to be done. The, the floor needs mopped. Um, the toilets need scrubbed. Songs need put into the PowerPoint, whatever. A good leader can appoint people tasks. But a great leader can invest themselves into somebody. All you need is baptized brains to appoint people a task. That's it. You just walk in and say, hey, you do this, you do this, you sound really good at this. But a leader looks for people he can invest or she can invest themselves into. Pour themselves into. Make sure their character is poured into somebody else for the purposes of the church, not for, not for themselves. I'm not talking about creating clones. That, that, that's just weird. I'm creating... I'm talking about creating a culture around you of learning where people are not just hearing what you say, they're learning who you are by what you say. I, I like to use this. I know other people have used it. Um, but I like it too, so I'm going to use it. Imagine a wall. A brick wall. That is some of the greatest artwork you've ever seen, right? Give me an amen. All right. This is you. You are no more significant or important than any other block in that wall. But without you, the wall is not complete. You have people under you in this wall. You have people beside you in this wall. And you have people above you in this wall. But you are important to all these people you influence. The people under you are those that support you. Those are the people who champion you, who encourage you. You ever had those in your life? They believe in you and nobody else will. These aren't people who are shaky about you. These are people who love you. They encourage you. Pastors, mentors, um, people on your, on your ministry team that love you, that encourage you. But you can't just live on this. If all you do is live on encouragement, the first time somebody criticizes you, you'll die. Because the only thing you've been eating is this. I just think you're wonderful. And I, I, we've never had a preacher like you. And we've never had a kids worker like you. And we've never heard singing like that singing. Woo! Sing my song. If all you look for is this, the first time somebody comes along and says, I don't really like that, you will stroke out. Because you're not used to that kind of food. These are important, but you can't live on just these. Thank God for them. But you can't live on them. There are people in ministry, and if you haven't found this out, if you're new, let me, let me give you the lowdown. There are people in ministry who will think it is the Father, Son, Holy Ghost in you. They will put you right up there. And there are other people who will believe you're in league with the devil. <laughs> You've got to find the medium right here. I'm a human being with a purpose of God in my life. I'm going to fail... But I will not be a failure. I'm going to keep going. So these people are the people who, who, are, who are under you. This is, this is uh, the Apostle James for Paul. This is, this is um, the people who are under Paul championing him. This is Barnabas. These are people who are encouraging Paul. 
Then you have people who are beside you in ministry. You are no better than anybody beside you in ministry. I don't, you may think you're the cat's meow, but you're not. You're no better than these people here. These are the people who are in the muck and the mire with you. You're all pulling the weight together. But you're supposed to be encouraging each other to keep going. Come on, my brother. Come on, my sister. Let's, let's, let's keep pulling. This is, this to Paul would be Silas in the jail cell, right? If you and I were hung in a dungeon, bleeding, rats shoved through pipes to try to feast on our flesh, the last thing you would probably want to do is have a song service. But thank God Silas looks over and Paul says, you know what, I think we should sing. (laughs) And when they sing, God, they don't sing to get out of jail, they sing to bring God into the jail. They're encouraging each other in what they know to do. And then you find yourself as the bottom rung and you're supposed to be supporting and holding up people over top of you. But if you fail at character in leadership, the wall crumbles. So don't tell me character isn't important in church leadership. We have to have church leadership character. A great leader models themselves after the biblical pattern And you know that you can only measure success by how many people you're serving and equipping in church, not how many people you're running in church. Pastor Brent, Pastor Matt, uh, Pastor Swint, any other pastors in the room? We know how it is if you meet other preachers. The first question is, how many many are you running? I ain't running nobody. I don't like to run myself. (laughs) How, how, how How many people you got going to your church now? That's the question. Even church folks, where do you go? Oh, I go so-and-so. Then we ask the question everybody asks in Ohio, where's that? (laughs) Oh, it's in the Northeast up here. We define it by the big, you know, three C's, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus. Oh, yeah, yeah. You still don't know, but you act like you know. Oh, yeah, 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 over there. (laughs) And then the question is, how many people go to your church? Because that's how we've began to measure success in church. It's about how many people go. You can get a crowd at a bake sale, guys. It's not how many you're running. It's how many are you serving? Or how many people in your church are serving? That's the number we're not so proud of. Here's how you find that number. Call a prayer meeting. Your church can run 500, call a prayer meeting, four people show up. Yawning and wiping their eyeballs out. How many people are we serving is the character quality of a leader. The Apostle Paul never records for us how many people attended his preaching service. But he accurately records how many people were touched by the Spirit of God and served in a city that he went to. Because that's where character is really found. I I, I made those notes, but I, I probably am going to hit all of them. Jesus modeled this so well for us. Let me, let me just talk about it. Jesus modeled this so well for us. In John 13, Jesus is, is on His way to the cross. He, he has this time where He gets together with, with His disciples. He's going to have a last supper with them. You know this story, right? We're ready for Easter. We'll all be covering this. They eat the meal. I don't know the conversation, but I know they were talking, laughing, having a good time. Jesus gets up from the table, goes to the corner of the room, removes his robe, ties a slave's garment to his waist, pours water into a basin, and gets busy washing the disciples' feet. It's one of the most beautiful stories you'll read in the New Testament. But the Bible, before he picks that up, it says, Jesus, having known all things, And having all power. Knew he came from God and was about to return to God. Got up from the table. Poured water in a basin. And went to wash the disciples feet. What I want you to miss is Jesus knew all things and had all power. Now if you and I knew all things and had all power. We wouldn't be washing feet. If we would have been at the table. And we knew that He had all power and knew all things. We would want Him to go clean up the corruption 
in Rome. We would want him to give everybody a BMW and take us to an early visit of Disney World or do something. But Jesus, having all power, could not, he could not violate his character. That's how strong character is in the life of a believer. If you really are a person of character, you don't violate that. Even when given the opportunity to violate it. It's what you do when nobody else is looking. Jesus washes their feet. I want you to get this. His most powerful weapon, His most powerful weapon was a towel. Because He took on the role of a servant. And folks, if we could get that to bleed into our church, our leaders, our people... The church isn't about you getting your feel-goods and fuzzies. It's about serving with character. You would change your city. We would change the state. We could change the world. Power is only safe in the hands of love. Power is only safe in the hands of love. You know the saying that says absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we've seen that lived out in dictators and leaders and all those sorts of things. But God emphasizes love in the heart of a leader. And true power, God only entrusts that to the hands of love. If you're serving, leading somebody in your church, you're leading over a group, you're leading over a ministry, you're, you're a pastor leading over a church, God's power given to you will be in equality to the love you express to the people. Because if not, you're just a dictator. You're not a leader, you're a dictator. Love. The amazing thing about that room is all 12 of them avoided the basin. (laughs) All 12 of them avoided the basin. There should have been 12 servants and one Lord, but there ended up being one Lord, or 12 lords and one servant. They all walked through the door. And in in that time, the basin would have been right by the door because that's what you did. You washed the feet. You've been out walking in who knows what. All 12 of them walked by and looked at the basin and went, "Mm, I'm too good for that. They all 12 sat down. I wonder in your church as a leader, how many things have we walked by thinking we were too good to do them? And we've modeled that for people under us that they're too good to do them. When I first started preaching 20 years ago, there was a pastor that was a mentor to me. He was 98 years old. He had started preaching when he was 14. And he told me, he said, Sean, anybody who is too good to sweep the floor is too good to stand on the pulpit. Don't ever let it go to your head, he said, because you're a preacher. You're a servant first. What's amazing to me is these 12 men avoided the basin. Don't tell me they didn't see it. They avoided it. And Jesus, the whole time sitting there watching them laugh, cut up, share Instagram with each other, whatever. And He's thinking, none of you, none of you have caught my heart of service. None of you have caught my character. So he mo- And it's not till He models it that Peter says, Oh, we're sorry. No, you shouldn't be doing that. You're right, Peter, but you should have knew that earlier. You were looking for titles. God was looking for towels. And in my church... I don't know. I'm sure none of your churches do this. I've had people come through the doors who are looking for titles. I know they're looking for titles. I'm really good at this, and I did this, and I think I got to do it. But they avoid the towel. They avoid the towel. They avoid service. Sometimes God will leave obvious things in front of you that you feel are beneath you so He can see what's really in you. He'll put obvious things in front of you that you feel are beneath you so He can see what's really in you. My first foot washing service. Church of God's big on foot washing. Assemblies isn't. But Church of God, we foot wash. Man, we wash them feet. I think we don't. And the first foot washing I was in has forever changed my life. I'm not a foot person. I'm really not. I rub my wife's feet and, that, and, and my baby's, but that's it. I don't rub my own feet. They're like hands that didn't quite make it. I don't like them. <laughs> and so when my, when my pastor told me we're having foot washing tonight, I thought, what? Okay, what is that? He said, we're all going to wash. You're going to get somebody. We're going to wash each other's feet. And my immediate response, I said, why? 
Why would we do that? We all have showers. We have indoor plumbing now in Kentucky. We don't have to do that. It's service. I thought, okay. So I washed my feet real good before I went to church that night. Right? Lotion them up and everything. And when I got to service, everybody was pairing up. The pastor was pairing people up. And he didn't pair me up with anybody. And I thought, "Ah, out of it. Ah, Yes, God knows the desires of our hearts. And there was a a man who walked through the back door at that exact time who was a man in our city that we knew was, uh, he had a home, but he was the poorest of the poor. He walked all the time. He walked in real hot clothes. He, he would sweat, no deodorant. You get the picture, no socks. And when he walked through the door, I knew that's who I was going to be with. And I looked at the pastor. It was, I can almost see it still in slow motion. As he looked at, we called him Walking George. As he looked at Walking George, he looked at me and he said, Sean, there's your foot washing partner. I thought, oh dear God, take me now. If you love me, take me now. We were, I, I set him down, the basin's in front of him, and as I'm untying his shoes, they are um, exactly what you'd expect. Dirty, grimy, smelly. And I put them in that water, and almost instantly the water turns gray, murky. And I just began to wash, and I'm not proud of this moment, but I had my face turned, washing. And as I'm washing his feet, I hear sniffling, and I look up, and it's walking George. He has big crocodile tears running down his cheeks. Both hands lifted in the air, thanking Jesus for this moment. And it was at that moment that I realized I had lost the importance of the towel. Or maybe I never even knew the importance of the towel. I wash feet like it wasn't nobody's business. I was just touching the surface, you know, up here where you can't really touch anything. I got down in between toes. I got underneath. I was washing. I washed them feet. I loved every minute of it. And when I got up, he hugged me. He said, now it's your turn, my brother. And I sat down. And when I put my feet in dirty water, my good lotion, manicured feet, (laughs) in dirty water, and he got on his knees And he began to wash my feet and he sang amazing grace. And then he prayed for me. God, wherever you take these feet, use him. Wherever you you lead these feet, make him a vessel for your kingdom. I pray for my brother. I pray for health. I pray for his family. He's calling heaven down for me. And at that moment, me, who was was a, a person who thought he had it all together, learned the value of character from a person who walked the streets every day. Because he showed me the heart of Christ. I had the heart of a church leader. He had the heart of Christ. And we met at a water basin. And I'm telling you in church, I'm not telling you to go home and wash everybody's feet. They'll think you're weird. And I mean, if the Lord tells you to do that, then by all means do it. But pick up the towel in service. Pick up the towel in, in love. Pick up the towel in power. And tell somebody, I'm not interested in how many you're running. I'm not interested in how famous your youth group is. I'm not interested in how many people follow you on Twitter. I'm interested in making sure the character of Christ that I have gets invested into who you are. God didn't call us to be big shots. He called us to be servants. You don't know what the training God has you in is for. You don't know the purpose of it till He gets there. I'm saying this, God trained Joseph in the desert for a ministry that would be needed in the palace, but He trained Moses in the palace for a ministry that would be needed in the desert. Your training doesn't have to look like everybody else's training. Because your service is not like everybody else's service. But the character of God stays steady. Moses had had the same character in the desert that Joseph possessed in the palace, even though they're in two separate modes of ministry. And I don't care if you do teach teenagers or little kids or, 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 or senior adults. Your mode of ministry will be different. It will look different. It will change from time to time. But the character of Christ is not up for discussion. It is a servant's heart. That's why anytime the Apostle Paul writes to any of his church leaders at Corinth or Galatia or Colossae, he tells them the same thing. They all have different problems. The church at Corinth was a madhouse. Sin going on, paddle on the back, guys sleeping with their stepmom, everything. 
And when Paul writes to correct them, notice, he will list the sins, but he directs them back to the character of Christ. He says, don't forget the name by which you've been called. And we get off on tangents even today. We talk about this and that and what's wrong and what's wrong with him or what's wrong with that church. And and we argue over senseless things when the root issue is the character of Christ. In Scripture, the church is compared to a family and to an army. Family and an army. And the funny thing about both those areas, a family or an army, you can't run either of those on consumer theology. If you're going to go to church, do you get up and take a poll of your kids about whether or not they feel like church today? If you do, you're doing it wrong, by the way. (laughs) My family gets up, they know church ain't on the table for discussion today, we're going to church today. (laughs) If you're sick, we're going because they're going to heal you at church. We don't take a consumer idea. We don't sit down and say, well, did you like the brand of crayons kids' church had last Sunday? No, Daddy, they were Rose Art and I like Crayola. Mm, we ain't going back there. You don't, run, you, don't run, you don't do it on consumer ideas. The army doesn't run on consumer ideas. Do you drill sergeants wake everybody up in the morning and go, what are we going to do today, gray or green fatigues? What do you guys feel like? Gray, going to go gray today? Gonna go... No! Now, we run that way in our culture... That's why people are making billions and trillions of dollars off us because they've learned the art of advertisement and they advertise to our consumer ideas. They advertise to the price, the prestige. He's got a car like that. I should have a car like that. And I'm afraid that we've lost our character when we run the church that way and we consumer out everything to people to choose what they want because we leave the character of Christ. It's already been established. Family, the family's already been established because consumerism, gotta abbreviate, leads to individualism. And we're taught in America this is a great thing. Be an individual, be your own man, be this, be that. And, and the, to a degree, I get that. But individualism in the church can be lethal. It may, it may, it may upset a whole bunch of people. In the church, the church has a destiny, not just you. Now, God has a plan for you, yes, amen, praise the Lord, we'll embroider it on hand towels. But the church collectively has a destiny that you're a part of. Well, I don't like that song, and I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like the carpet, and I don't like... Church ain't about you, baby. The color of the carpet ain't your church destiny. The church's destiny is to fulfill the purpose of God in this generation. Now you can be a part of that, or the church down the road's taking members. Because <laughs> the destiny of this church has been, has been what God wants. But America, we're so backward to that in our character makeup because we like the story of individual. We like Rambo. I did it my way. And it bleeds into the church. You have a spot on the team, but you're not the team. You have a spot on the team. And think of all the power God's wrapped up in the church when we function as a team. Uh, Paul writes to the book of Ephesus, or the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 3.10, he says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heaven. Now, get this. He says, the wisdom of God is made known by the church. To who? To principalities and powers. So let's put that down into the Kentucky International Version. When demons want to know what God's up to, they go to church. If if hell has to go to church to find out the agenda of God, shouldn't we go to church? To find out the agenda of God? God, what are you speaking? What What are you saying to us? To me, it's never been about us creating a place where people feel that they are forced to attend our church. It's creating a culture in the church where people feel like, I have value here, 
And the character of God is on display here. People don't follow things that don't move. You have to be moving forward on purpose. If you separate God from the church, if you separate God from the church, if you take the character of God out of the church, people can still get a feel-good, but they will have no purpose. You can go to church and get a chill bump because the right song was saying, but still leave with no purpose. You ever notice that people will be... um, People won't be late for ball games or practices or their job, but they will be consistently late for church. The conclusion to me is that it doesn't matter as much. They will get up and leave in the middle of a sermon to make sure Johnny's at the baseball game. On time. I say, hey, I ask them when they get up and leave, I see them again. I say, did I make you mad in the sermon? I say something to make you mad? Because I do that sometimes. Did I make you mad? Did I say something upset you? Oh no, Pastor, no, we love... You know, if, if John ain't at the game, if John ain't at the game by 11.45, he don't get to start. Cool. Cool. Would you rather have John slide in home plate or slide in the altar? Because the altar call today, five young people in John's class came up and gave their heart to Jesus. Pastor, you know, you know that ain't what we say. And we, we love church. We love this. I get it. I, I get it. I, tell, I have kids in sports. I tell all the coaches, Sundays and Wednesdays belong to God. If you have a game or practice, they will be late. If they can't play on the team, tell me now and I'll keep my money. Now you may, people do whatever they want to do. I understand that. I'm not talking about the legality of it. I'm talking about the heart behind it. What is our priority the character of Christ on display in a church is the most attractive thing a church has it'll make people want to get there early it'll make people want to serve because they feel like they're a part of what of what God is doing you have to find community in your church community in your church to get character on display the way it's supposed to be Transitions sometimes have to take place. This is where church leaders, we have a hard time because we avoid confrontation. We avoid transition. We avoid change. Anybody's church went through a change that not everybody agreed with? Never. Perfect. I'm going to Brent's church. (laughs) Everything you change. Transition. If people will fight you over the brand of toilet paper in your bathroom, you better make sure you better make sure they will fight you over spiritual changes. Now, I said the toilet paper because we had a guy get mad and leave the church because the brand of toilet paper that we had. And when he first came up and told me, I thought it was a joke, like you would too. He told me, he said, I can't stand that toilet paper in the bathroom. I'm going to leave the church if you don't get a new brand of toilet paper. And I went, <laughs> Leave the church over toilet paper. That's a good one. That's a good one. He said, no, seriously, I'm leaving. Well, he was never really there is the problem. Because if, if toilet paper is, is the deal breaker for you, you've not made the commitment to community in the church. But when you make spiritual changes, transitions, people say, well, can't we just leave things the way they've always been? Can't we just leave things the way they are? No, transitions have to happen. Changes have to happen, but they have to happen with character. How do you know that they have to happen? Paul says it best. God changes us from glory to glory to glory. He's moving us forward in a transition. The problem is we fall in love with old glory and we never get to new glory. We will will stay in old glory till it's stale, dried up, and pruned. Perfect example. To Israel... At one time, Egypt was a promised land. When Joseph led them down for corn and grain in the middle of a drought, Egypt was a promised land. But if you stay in a promise too long and don't move to new glory, it will become a prison. It became bondage. The very thing that fed them became bondage to them. 
don't anchor your people in your church to the motivation of where you are now. Keep them looking forward to where God's taking you, but He's taking you there with character. Because if not, you have people that come up with a, with a you know, they've got an old black and white flyer to pass out for the kids when we live in a Twitter age. I have all age generations in my church. I have five people in their 90s, and I have babies. And everything in between. And when we move to things that are newer, when we put, when we put lights up on the stage um, that change color on the stage, I mean, it was like, all the, all the younger people were like, oh man, I love it. But my older people? Come up to me afterward and you know, pull on your shirt and say, Pastor, why'd you put them lights up there? I said, I didn't do it. <laughs> I said, I came in and wanted the same thing. The, the music pastor put that. Can you believe that? <laughs> the music pastor put that up there. When I got home that, that afternoon, uh, after, after supper, uh, the, the music pastor, he called me, he said, I had all kinds of people calling me today about the lights. He said, anybody talk to you about it? I said, a couple people mentioned it. Nobody talked to me about it. I said, as everybody mentioned it to me, I told them you did it. He said, why would you do that? He said, I've been on the phone all afternoon. I said, is anybody leaving the church? He said, no, I don't think so. He said, I talked to everybody, told them the heart of what we were trying to do and go. And I said, there, that's why I did it. I wanted to see if you could lead through crisis with character. Now, if he'd have called me and said all 15 people called and complained to him or leaving the church, I'd had to retrain him <laughs> in character. People will divert to you to lead through crisis because they're not confident in their character enough. So sometimes you have to put the crisis on them. To let them see how the character is developed. I was never more proud of him than at that moment. Do I have to have green and blue and red lights and everything going on behind me and all that? No. I'm preaching a library. But it, the, the worship in our church has intensified. I can't explain it. We've attracted even more younger people into our church. But we don't violate the character of Christ. We still love, we still serve, we still undergirt, we still make sure people are feeling the touches of God on their life. We don't, we're not ashamed of the Holy Spirit in our church. We preach about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the baptism of the Spirit. We talk about hearing and being sensitive to the movie. We haven't locked the Holy Spirit in some back room and pulled Him out like a weird uncle. We do what everybody is supposed to do in the church, but we do it with the character of God. God will, God will posi- edit that when you get to that. <laughs> let me let me let me say this. God will. Um, that was the alarm, but let's hush it a minute here. Um, God will put you into some of the darkest places of of life as a leader, so He can prove what He spoke to you in the light. Sometimes darkness is what it takes to reveal what the light really is in you. Joseph had dreams when the lights were on, but along came life and knocked his lights out. And it's not till Joseph is in the pit and the, and the dungeon and Mrs. Potiphar, the original desperate housewife, gets him thrown in jail. When all that happens, and it is as dark as it can be in the life of Joseph... The Bible says, then Joseph remembered his dream. Which leads me to believe he forgot about it until it got the darkest. He forgot about it while he was still in charge of the house and making the money. It wasn't until he was in the prison that he remembered the light. He remembered the promise. He remembered the dream. And when he was looking around for people to applaud the dream in him, his brothers were gone, his dad was gone, everybody was gone, except for one risen Savior who stands and applauds us in our darkness. Because we remembered the promise of the light. I've got in my pocket, I'm going to share with you, the one thing we do as leaders that is horrible, uh, we're proud of our light. 
Will you shut the light off for me? Can we do that? Yeah. No? It's electronic. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. Other people's classrooms right now just went. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Here we go. Light. Growing up in Sunday school, anybody sing this song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. We get to the great parts about don't let the devil it out. I'm going to let it shine. Hide under a bush. No! I'm going to let all those. Okay. We're proud of our light because our light is our salvation. It's our promise. It's the character of God spoken to us at salvation. We hold that. We're proud of that. We should be proud of that. We shouldn't complain about how dark the world's getting. The world's going to get dark. It gets dark so the church can shine brighter. Here we are. Light. The Bible says, Paul writes to um, Timothy and says, God dwells in an inapproachable light. That's a hard scripture because we preach God is approachable. But Paul told Timothy, God dwells in an inapproachable light. And no man can see Him. What do we do with that? Well, the light that Paul's referring to is not the light of God welcoming us as family, it's His holiness. The holiness of God is unapproachable. Now you may think you're holy, but you ain't holy like God's holy. God's holiness is an unapproachable light. So here we are with God in the center. He provides the character. He's shining the light of what we're supposed to be. And based on where we are in character and following Jesus, when you get saved, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. He's developing us. Let's say you're right here in, in comparison to how close we are to God. And we're proud of our light and we're holding it up. But then we look at other people in the church or other leaders and they are here. And we say... That's not fair. How'd she get up there? Why does pastor put her up there? Why do people go to her for questions? i got a light too, you know. I know Jesus. I know stuff. Why don't you come and ask me? And we begin to feel jealous of this sister or this brother. And then we look behind us and see other people who ain't quite as far as we are and we say, oh, well... At least I'm not like them bums. <laughs> I'm much closer to God than you are. <laughs> One day you'll be like me. Don't worry. One day you'll be like me. But there's a motivation in us to go forward. But going closer to Jesus requires more character like Jesus. Isn't that the purpose? That we are conformed into the image of His Son? So the closer we get, God starts this conforming business. And it hurts. Because it rips out our character and replaces it with His. And when the closer you get to this light, that light outshines your light. And before you know it, we're walking like this. And suddenly we don't have much to be proud of anymore. Because that light's much brighter than this light. But when we get to that light, He begins to reveal the cracks and flaws and weaknesses in our lives. And that's where you have an option. You either conform to the image of the Son of God and take care of those character flaws... Or, you back back up to where your light is bright again. And you live with contentment that as long as I'm ahead of the bums behind me, I'm proud of my light. As leaders, we have to develop people to know, you hold on to your light in the dark, but you constantly look for a greater character of God to replace your character. And don't use your light to analyze other people who are with you. The only two times that the Scripture refers to God's Word being a light, it is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. Both places talk about walking. Going forward. How? By the Word of God. We get in trouble when we stop and we use it to examine each other. You ever seen it take place in church? Amongst preachers? Amongst leaders? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You gonna wear that? <laughs> you come to church dressed like that? Come on. Can't you dress holy? You dress. Hey, folks, holiness is not having your skirt duct taped to your ankles. And your wrist double-side taped to your sleeve. That's not holiness. I've seen people dressed like that cuss you out. Hair stacked so high on the head they had to bend down to get in the church house. I've seen all that. Only thing higher than their opinion of themselves is their nose. Drown if they go out in the rain. And they pull out their light when it's dark and they look at you. We're not called to examine each other. We're called to examine ourselves. To see whether we be in the faith. Turn the searchlights of heaven on me, God. Isn't that David's cry? Search me, O God. And see if there be any wicked ways in me. Know me. Know my ways. Search me. If the church would take our light and combine it and focus it on the promise, on the purpose of God for the church, that's how we move the church forward. Not personalities and issues and problems and how she likes this music and he likes... That's not where we shine. We stink at that stuff. We shine when the purpose of God aligns with the character of God in our lives and people who aren't even a part of our church come to visit and they feel something different. That something different is not how you have the air conditioner turned on. That something different is the character of God on display in the church house. And that's where the Holy Spirit can move. I'm finishing up. I, sheesh. I got more notes than people running for president got scandals. Let's see here. We'll come back next year. Thank you. Get the soil healthy. Get the soil healthy so that the character of God can grow. Get the soil healthy. And don't settle... Because something feels comfortable. Comfort is a big enemy. Don't settle. Moses is supposed to be delivering over three million slaves and he settles for the title of shepherd. God had to light him up to get him to remember the purpose that God gave him. Moses' character had to be delivered and had to be developed in the wilderness, but that wasn't his destiny. That's where he was developed. And in church, when you're working with leaders, young leaders, giving them a pathway to character is to make sure that they know you don't have a checklist. You don't have a rule book to keep. This, the Scriptures is your rule book. The Scriptures is your thing. But you better make sure, my young friend, that your life matches your words. Don't tell my youth group how to live and then them see you on Facebook living some way else. Don't do that. Don't do that. Not only will I fire you, but you will be in trouble with the Lord. You don't do that. Character by generation. I know generations are different. The younger generation does things different. They see things different. They say things different. But character doesn't have to be shifted. Character is character. Board me- Well, I don't know if we've done that or not. We'll be trying. Uh, it's lunchtime in one minute. Any questions in a minute? Any questions in a minute? All right. I'd like to do something. I don't know if we do this in every session. I'd like to pray for you uh, as we leave. Is that okay? Lord, thank you so much for the people gathered in this room in this, on this campus today. These are the leaders of your church in Ohio. And Father, I'm asking for character. Not to be developed by how we analyze each other, but to be developed by the Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Speak your purposes for your church. Not our opinions, your purposes. And may we rally around those as family. May you give us soil that is conducive to grow a healthy church. Till up ground if you have to, God. Break up hardened ground. Transition ground that will not change. Break those things up. And sow your seeds into your church. And may we live them out with complete character. Not for our fame, but to make Jesus famous again. We love you. We honor you. 
We thank you for the lunch that you are providing for us today. And may your name be blessed on this campus and the days ahead in our churches. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.